0: This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 29, with guest Claudia Lambrechts Linnenberg. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to today's episode. How do leaders regain their sense of balance and clarity when they have to face challenges inside rapidly scaling organizations they work at? They talk to Claudia Lambrix-Linnenberg, who is an energy-centric leadership coach. Claudia applies a holistic approach that combines four energy levels: physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Entrepreneurs, founders, investors, and C-level executives need to find the right path towards achieving their personal and business goals. Are you someone on the list? Then listen carefully to my fruitful conversation with Claudia and join the community of like-minded people on Instagram page at waa.berlin. Hello, Claudia. Welcome to the studio. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm totally excited. Interestingly, because my guest from episode 24, Noor van Boven... Spoke very highly of you, and she was giving me all signs possible that you are a must guest for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so here you are here today, and the pressure is on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank yes, you, yes. Nora. <laughs> and I felt like today we will start the conversation directly with some burning questions. And specifically, I know that you are a former athlete and you turned into a certified leadership coach. You, yeah. Today, you're working with a lot of executives, leaders. You're seeing them fail. You're seeing them rise. You're seeing them balancing maybe sometimes too many plates at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I know that you intend to shake up the traditional mindset of working. So what does working smart and not hard means to you, first of all, for yourself, but also
1: for others? How would you define it? It's a tough question to start off with, but I guess I've always been very much intrigued by it. And I still remember when people said, or where there was this slogan, work hard, not smart, that I thought, yeah, right. But it would be so exciting if I could nail it. So I guess my enthusiasm and a bit the inspiration for getting the most out of life and optimizing things has helped me to grasp more what it means. So What I realized is that the moment I was a leader and I was working in different companies that there was this time when I glanced at my inbox and like the emails were piling up hundreds a day. And then I got all these Slack messages, WhatsApp, and then it kind of hit me that I thought I'm absolutely reacting to my environment. My life is managing me instead of I'm managing my life. And there has to be a way to at least, I'm not saying eliminate all of it, but there was so much stuff going on that I thought, is that really serving the bigger purpose here? So that's when I dived a bit deeper into working smart versus working uh, hard. There's also this famous book that came out from the four-hour work week. (laughs) And when I read it, it was again this feeling of that would be amazing if if I could even get to that stage and even though that might not be possible for for everyone and it's still definitely not possible for me yet there are some very key principles that you can apply i guess into your into your daily work
0: i'm just curious because you said like those emails everyone is yeah. reaching out to you like something is happening like how can you stop that because you are responsible you are reliable you know you're this classical overachiever With no work-life balance, (laughs) pretty much. But how can you stop that? You just cannot
1: because you have that responsibility. That is also the reality of a lot of, especially also the leaders that I work with or the, the people that I've seen within companies. And sometimes it's absolutely the culture. But what I do see is that there, if you take a step back from your daily work, and if you zoom out, and if you take energy as a measure, look very closely and honest about how you design your life. I think there are lots of things that you can still optimize. Any specifics? Yeah, exactly. So I think, so for example, if, I guess we're also kind of used to sending emails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I just take a very practical example, because I can imagine that everybody also who listens to this, sends emails on a daily basis. If you, for example, don't respond just as an experiment to half of your emails that are not super urgent and important for some magical reason, also your inbox becomes way less. So it's sometimes also a bit of a habit of quickly sending an email to each other instead of just grabbing the phone and just, you know, talking through certain things or just waiting for your important one-on-one and then have like a very clear agenda and just go through the key decisions that you want to go through.
0: So basically you are the source a little bit of this problem because you position yourself as available, as someone approachable, then you are also initiating a lot of things. So if you downscale a little bit your availability and responsiveness that means you have more focus time right and yes. that means you can actually focus on the important things yeah. and leave other things for maybe like a coffee break conversation yeah
1: and i remember when i worked at tom, tom there was the chro back then richard that he i remember that he came over to my desk and that he said claudia if i may give you one suggestion it would be really good like on a weekly base for one hour Glance out of the window, and I remember him saying that. And I thought, for one hour, (laughs) for one hour, and I thought, this is so cool, this is so needed. And then he walked away, and then two seconds later, it kind of freaked me out because I thought, but I got work to do, like, I just cannot simply glance out of the window. But then he said, The reason why I tell people to do that is to that's where the magic can happen the moment you step away. You can think about how you want to optimize things or then you come with good ideas for things that are not working anymore.
0: Exactly. And that's also potentially where you get the creativity, you know, and if if you're in this continuous loop, you just exhaust your, the possibilities of, let's say, looking at things from one, like from different angles. Yeah. And I know you were a professional uh, swimmer until you were 18 years old. How does this part of your life helps you understand leaders today?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a very intense life, I must say, to be a professional swimmer. Um, and while I was doing it, I didn't really realize so much how it would later kind of help me. But what I think is that there's a lot of overlap if you think about it. Like in the in the sports industry, there is a very clear idea of how you should manage performance. It's also really visible. That's exactly what leaders have to do nowadays. Like they have to build high performing teams. So some of the principles or some of the things that are applied uh, in the the sports world, so for example, when I was a swimmer, what we had to do is there, maybe I can just mention a few things, but the first thing is that you have to like really visualize success. So if I had to pick a race, first of all, I had to pick one, so I had to make a clear focus, which one am I going to really perform well at? And then I swam the race a hundred times in my mind. So it was very clear about what I had to achieve. So I almost kind of manifested. But then also one other aspect is in the sports world, it's very normal that you understand that you cannot always perform. So the moment you have a big tournament, there's downtime. It's very clear. You have to recover mentally, physically, and then you're going to slowly build your way up. But in the high pressure environment that we're in nowadays and especially in a startup scene going through hyper growth you always have to be on top of your game but it's simply not productive at a certain point anymore you're just busy but it's very difficult and there's such a high pressure on the leaders but also the people in a team to keep performing so i guess to approach it a bit more like in the sports industry could be very very helpful
0: so then when you talk to the leaders that you are consulting, then do you ask them to envision themselves as a, as a sports person or do you give them as an example of that high and low times when a person is performing professional sports, for instance?
1: First of all, I, what I try also to do with them is to, to help raise awareness around when are they successful. And when you're successful, it's not always when you've reached your targets and your OKRs. Like I care about when are you successful in life, like holistically, and then create a very clear image. Because the moment you cannot see it, it's very difficult to reach it. So it needs to almost become like you you can envision yourself, how your life looks like, what type of leader you are, how you're at home, like all the different aspects. So that's what I really try to install with them. And a lot of times it's it's still a little bit in their mind, but there's some room for growth.
0: Before we speak more about the coaching techniques that you're using, I wanted to ask about your time that you joined EverJobs and later you were running nearly the entire HR team at Rocket Internet. And also, you know, from there. How did the transition into coaching happen? because that for me is is a mystery still.
1: <laughs> sometimes for me as well. Yeah. in retrospect, you sometimes also see some correlations, but in the moment, it's it feels like the right thing to do. But what I can say about it is that i've I've always like had a passion for psychology. So I have a master's in psychology, and i I, I especially the organizational psychology really interested me. So I had this hunch for organizations and leadership. and then, when I was working at at Rocket Internet, I was responsible for the holding itself, but also for the different portfolio companies. There I had to also advise and work closely with founders about how to, let's say, build a, a hiring strategy, how to build a stronger brand. And I noticed that when I spoke with them that there were certain issues that they bumped into. Also sometimes some very basic things. So that's a bit where the coaching started, I guess like in my type of position. And then afterwards, when I saw these different types of leadership, that's when I thought, I feel I have to do something with this. I'm not sure in what shape or form yet, but at least I want to engage myself with different leaders in order to help them to become the leader they want to be. That's when I started experimenting also with facilitating of workshops for larger teams, for sometimes hundred people. And then I thought, maybe not really my thing. And then I kind of tweaked it a bit. I just experimented a lot. And then I noticed that the, especially the one-on-one is something that I really enjoy doing.
0: And you mentioned that you work with different leaders, so that doesn't mean that you have specific type of leaders that you prefer working. You're open to executives with different leadership styles. This is totally fine for you. Absolutely.
1: The type of leaders that I would say that I work with, if I look at at the executives, are basically people who have a very strong need to optimize their life. They want to have basically a bit more happiness. They sometimes feel overwhelmed. And I've also seen that being a leader can sometimes also be very lonely, because there's a lot of pressure from the team. There's a whole board of investors, uh, advisors, also putting some pressure on them, which comes with the job. And they ca- they know it. They work very long hours. And then they also have to manage next to their life, sometimes a family or a relationship, friendships, etc. So how to manage all of that and still be successful. That's, I guess, the type of...
0: That's a big question. that's a, yeah, it's a, that's very, a life question.
1: <laughs> it is. It is a life question. It is a life question. And it's something that also keeps me pretty busy. But what I see when it comes to the definition of success is that... The more traditional way of looking at success is sometimes related to your career. And we're so strongly programmed to, you know, cr- climb the career ladder, right? maybe join one of the big fours, um, where you absolutely learn a lot, huge responsibility, then a team, maybe become a senior team lead leader, and then you kind of wake up a bit and think, This is really exciting and it has a lot of impact. And I only have like respect for leaders. And at the same time, if you over identify with work, sometimes it can also get like not you cannot get the satisfaction that you maybe want out of it. So I think the new definition of success should be much more around all factors in life. Speaking of coaching,
0: so let's get to the basics and I would like to understand what is coaching and what is the history behind it? Because how long do we have coaching basically <laughs> on the market, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, well, it's not that old yet. So it was originated in the 70s by uh, John Whitmore. And he uh, coined the term performance coaching. So, or performance management. And um, he, was a, he was in the sports racing world, And he saw what we just talked about a bit about swimming and racing. He saw some of the principles that were applied there and thought, how can I integrate those into the business world? So I would say around kind of the pioneers around the seventies and the eighties. Um, so that's, that's where it started.
0: But in the 90s, I mean, if we watch those movies and we think of Wall Street, yeah. it seems like a Wild West. Like definitely yeah. no no <laughs> one was thinking about work-life balance there. No,
1: absolutely not. That's that's 100% true. Yeah. So
0: uh, uh, thank goodness we moved on from those times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if we speak about the good and the bad, who should really become a coach and maybe who should not really try becoming one?
1: I think everybody who has this intrinsic motivation, or at least a hunch, like when you really tap into your gut feel and you, and you think that it can spark joy and that you're passionate about it, I would say, give it a go. Like all the times I would advise, do it. There's a reason why you have this hunch. That's one of the things that I think that, that you, that you should do it. And I think there's also a way where you can sometimes maybe even see a bit around your circle of friends. You always have this one person where everybody turns to with their maybe either problems or come to for advice i think that's also a very good indicator
0: that's more like a life coach then
1: yeah but in the end and that's a bit like they're very or not strong labels but in the coaching world that's actually a good point there are different types of coaches so a life coach could indeed and very well be about life but for example if i look at a leader and they sleep poorly, or they have a bad relationship um, with their kids, because they're away all the time. I have to address that in my coaching. So it's kind of I made my own variety of it. (laughs) But I have to see the person for who he or she is.
0: And uh, maybe a a bad example of someone going into coaching when they should not be.
1: I think uh, another like very strong indicator is the level of uh, empathy. I think empathy um, is yeah, right—the ability to to take perspective, and that's I think in coaching very important. So the like being non-judgmental, trying to really put yourself in the other person's shoes is I think also a a good indicator because as a coach, um, you need to be able to do some deep listening, and also watch for out for like these tiny micro expressions because they tell you a lot. So you, as a coach, you have to kind of see what's going on with the other person besides only the words that they speak. But that means that more of
0: like psychological background helps. But also if you work with leaders, that's where you need a business understanding. So there's a, a few multiples here. Yes,
1: absolutely. Very good point. Yeah. So besides these personality traits, I think it's important to understand your audience.
0: So how can a person know that, A, they actually need a coach you know, how do they realize that, what kind of coach they need, like how can they understand the problems they're struggling with and understanding what type of person can address those problems properly. And how do they pick the person, you know, the the right person and not maybe unhelpful coach, the one who will maybe lead you towards not realizing your dreams and solving the problems, but maybe take you off the track.
1: I think to answer the first part of your question, I think People who feel overwhelmed, or people who might feel a bit restless, or people who feel maybe this longing for there must be something more, uh, I can't see it yet, or what is actually maybe my purpose in life, or how can I go through life with a bit more ease? I would say those are indicators of a coach could help. And then there are certain types of coach. So you have also the very strategic business coaches who focus more on helping you define a strategy, implementing the OKRs, etc. Then you have the life coach that you refer to, which is mostly all about your life as a person, and you also have the psychologist, which is in the classical scenario, but nowadays that also has evolved, but more like the sofa setting where you as a person do the lo- a lot of talking as a coachee, and then the other person reflects, but goes very deep into your mind and into how you're wired very helpful but more for the deeper problems i would say and that's also a bit when i thought let's just combine all of it <laughs> into into one approach that works at least for me but now i want to uh,
0: channel the conversation back to you because your career as a coach you went independent and became a coach in 2017. Mm-hmm. later on you build up a team at four Chiefs, and yeah. i believe there were 20 other team members yes. along with you And now again, you went independent. Yeah. How do you define the cycles for yourself and why you decided to try it out working alone independently and then
1: also working in more like a team setting? Yeah. So when I left Rocket Internet to go independent, that was where I had this longing of also I wanted to be my own boss, also a bit rebellious, maybe at the same time. Right. And but also wanted to work with multiple companies. So I was a bit restless. I thought I want to like see, I just want to experience with as many companies as possible how leadership is kind of how do you say, defined and how it's um, uh, how people go about it. Then I quickly realized that being by myself, there's only so much you can do. because if then a company asks you to facilitate a leadership team of eight more than eight people, You have to be with two people to manage the dynamics, to be able to basically have the most like impact for a workshop for a day, because it's an executive team that you're dealing with, right? So there are a lot of things going on normally in the group dynamics. So that's when I met like-minded individuals, very exciting. And then we spoke a bit about it and they bumped into the same issue. And then we came together together had a few coffees, a wine, and then we thought, you know what, maybe we should team up together. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing since 2017 for four years, mostly. And then, and that's maybe sometimes what comes with coaching. I ask the people around me to step up their game. So I also have to look myself into the mirror every day and think like what makes me the most happy and what comes with the most ease. And that's when I thought maybe I only want to do executive coaching moving forward. And that means not a group coaching, but more like a one-on-one sessions? Mostly one-on-one. Mm-hmm. There's still a few groups or executive teams, right, from certain clients that I already uh, work with for quite some times that I still do as a group, but mostly to build more of these individual journeys for executives where I can really have this holistic view.
0: Let's get, you know, <laughs> practical and really understand how how that works, you know, and how you build up those individual journeys. So when you try to set up the journey for high achieving leaders, where do you start and how do you
1: set up a plan? You know, how does this look like? Yeah, good question. Because every time when I engage with an executive, there's always like, I call it like a chemistry call, because I think the most important thing is that it's a two way street. It just has to click because you need to feel safe And I also need to feel that I can contribute in the best way possible. So if I believe or if I have the hunch that by any means another coach that I know is a better fit, then I will always address that. But then there's this initial intake, let's say 30, 45 minutes, where I try to get an all-around view of the person. And then based on that, like in my mind, I kind of start thinking, this is what the person could need. This is what we can tap into. And that's when I... Normally I engage for six months at least, because I think it's very important to keep the momentum, but also make sure that after six months, you kind of don't continue just for the sake of continuing, because I really want to make sure that I almost like manage myself away. And that's, that's my goal, (laughs) but still have enough impact. So that's what I then do. And I, I really make sure that I have like mental space for let's say 15 executives at the same time, not more because I really want to be there for them in the timeframe. So I want to be their sidekick along the way, which means that I, like mentally, need to have like mental space to remember the things that they say.
0: Tell me about your approach, Claudia, that you came up with, which is named energy-centric leadership coaching. And as you mentioned earlier, it's a holistic approach that combines four energy levels, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. How does it work and why specifically this four levels?
1: Well, I see energy at the core of everything that we do. So how happy you are, how you show up in life, uh, what kind of vibe you're radiating, how exhausted you are at the end of the day, how good you sleep, how great you are at managing your emotions. Emotion stands also for energy and motion. Like lots of stuff is related to energy. So I thought energy like is originally the capacity to work. So I thought if I can manage somehow or help people to harness their energy in a better way in their leadership position, I think that gives people also some practical tools, but also a different way of approaching how they go through life. And that's when I thought, okay, we have these four levels in the energy world. And the first one is the most recognizable, I guess, for everybody, is the physical one. That's basically your body. That's how do you sleep? How do you eat? Because a lot of people don't sleep really well. And you maybe I don't know, maybe have recognized it or maybe from friends around you. Like sometimes when you have, let's say, this intense information overload and you are on your laptop until 1 a.m. in the morning, Yeah, then your mind (laughs) needs to sometime, when German is abschalten, you have to kind of cool down a little bit. So that really impacts also your sleeping pattern. And then the next day you wake up a bit more, let's say sometimes moody or etc. So it's really good to, sleeping says a lot about a person, but also how happy you feel in your body. Because if as a leader you, for example, need to stand in front of hundreds of people for an all hands, but somehow you don't feel really well, or you feel that you don't have really the right energy or the attitude, or then there's a lot of potential to start managing that that type of energy level. And then the mental level is more about the power of the mind. And that's, it's almost a bit like we train our body, but this is like training the brain. It's like if you would see your mind as a, as a big muscle that you have to train, there comes a lot of positive energy with it. So really deep diving more into Are you able to concentrate? Can you really focus? Can you be mindful about things? Do you really know what to prioritize? Like those kind of questions is more on that level. And then the third one, the emotional level, that's more the quality of your energy. So that says a lot about your, how good are you at managing your emotions? How much or how often do you portray positive emotions? And do you go through life happy? And how resilient are you in times of stress? Because that's absolutely what's happening with executives in these environments. They're under huge amount of pressure. And then the fourth one, that's the um, more the spiritual level or the the human spirit. And here I always have to like start off a bit carefully sometimes with executives because I need to meet them where they are. (laughs) But this is more about the energy that you get from life meaning and from purpose. So we all know to a certain extent that if we do things that are aligned with our values, we show up more happy. So here, it's about giving them more insight in what do they stand for? When are they truly themselves? How much energy do they get from the work that they are doing? uh, And are there ways to increase that energy level? So that's a bit the overall approach that I designed.
0: This is very interesting. I'm just thinking, I mean, those are four pillars of a very healthy functional individual yeah. and i think they are must whether you're a leader whether you are a junior person that doesn't matter no, i think this matter. is this is just a, such an important aspect of life that we need to prioritize we need to reflect but as you said it's so hard to monitor those
1: yes it is it's very difficult and also within organizations or in companies it's you don't really like there's just no time. Like I've been there, I've seen it. It's so, but it's so important, I think. And there's, you have this also this great read in in the Harvard Business Review that says, "Manage your energy and not your time." And I think that says it all, because time is a is like a finite source, but if you tap into energy, that's a different ball game. So,
0: have you seen maybe from those four energy levels, have you seen one which is specifically? the one which is very neglected. Or rather it's applies a little bit to all of them.
1: I would say there's a lot of potential in the mental one. And I also notice it with myself, like how how you also sometimes go throughout the day, right? That you think that you, you want to think positive and you want to be able to focus. And then that's sometimes so difficult because there's so many stimuli from left and right. And especially in these environments that they operate in, I think there's there's a lot of room. Plus, it's also something that, that most of them can really relate to.
0: It's interesting you say that because sometimes you have this feeling, wow, how did the day pass by? Yeah. How did the week pass by? What have I done? You know, you rather you feel like you're stuck in a meeting, stuck doing things. But as you said, the focus level, concentration level, possibility of solving problems, like yeah. is this there? Because if it's not there, you rather wasting your you know
1: precious time absolutely and i i have this uh, sort of something what i use in coachings is analogy where you say imagine on a daily basis you have 10 coins of energy in the morning when you and this is just a hypothetical scenario but it so it i'm not saying it, it has to happen with everyone but at least it happens with me a few times is you wake up in the morning so what did i do you know you grab your phone you turn off your alarm, you grab your phone, okay. Well, Instagram, LinkedIn, emails, bam, two coins away, still eight left. Then you start thinking in the shower about work because then you're like, oh, I just got this email yesterday evening and I, I have to do now this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, bam, another coin. Okay, so then you get a bit worked up. And then before even your day started, you already spent at least three or four coins. And then you go into your meetings. And then you have meetings, back-to-back meetings, managing all the Slack channels, WhatsApp, etc. And then what you're saying, like referring to, then sometimes the day just flies by. Then you might even think about something that a friend did or a conversation that maybe bothered you still a little bit, but that you didn't really speak your truth. So another few coins. And by the end of the day, your 10 coins are definitely most or in this scenario spent. And what do you then do or can do? You can then think. Okay, some people then go for sports and they get more energy, but some people also then think like, I'm just going to meet with friends or I'm going to party or I'm going to do this or that just to distract my mind a bit. But then basically you're taking almost like an energy debt. And then that's also where sometimes people can get at a certain stage, maybe a bit into a, let's say a burnout kind of feeling because they just spend more energy than they had. So I think this is something that we should spend it wisely. We should be like very precious about the amount of energy we spend and who we spend it on. I can imagine a lot of don't see executives
0: it. you work with, they just they're like, What do you mean? Like yeah. what do you mean I have problems with sleep?
1: Or what do you mean I have
0: like yeah. maybe not emotional stability, uh, you know, <laughs> or or yeah. spiritually I feel empty. Like they might deny it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well the good thing is always when people come to you for coaching, they mostly They don't deny it per se, because this is already the audience that loves to work on things. So I must say that the people I work with, they're, I'm not saying like the best students, because it's not about like studying, but they really want to learn new things. So they're very open and very reflective. But I think the raising of self-awareness is the first thing that that has to be done. So, and also understanding like why, why is there this need for change? And then there are some practical things that you can obviously apply, but it's uh, it requires effort. So it's really training, training, training. It's not something that can happen overnight.
0: So it's interesting what I asked earlier in terms of people and their leadership styles, you don't really pick. You take anyone, uh, yeah. whether it's charismatic leader or more. Yeah. Um, I don't
1: care. No.
0: <laughs> non-charismatic leader, you don't care. But no. one aspect which is a must is the person has to come voluntary and be open to the suggestion. So to make that first
1: step. Yes, absolutely. And ideally that there's a very strong need and not per se a problem situation yet.
0: I was also reading that you help people with personal transformational journeys. This is a little bit different. Where you mentioned that they, the leaders, are at the stage in life in which something feels off. They know that there's more to life, but they can't seem to grasp it.
1: It is in a sense, so overarching, there's like one approach that i that I have, but what I've saw what I've seen is that there's a difference in what people want. So some people they want a sidekick like on a like a regular base, sometimes even like every other week for one and a half hour where they can also speak through their leadership challenges, where I can help them structure their minds and their things and, and help them with more difficult situations, privately and professionally. And then there's also this persona almost, and this person that has been a leader for quite some time or has been very successful with multiple startups, and then just almost like wakes up and thinks, yeah, but that, now what? Like, what am I, <laughs> what am I now gonna do? Or where they feel like, I thought that being a leader was super cool and exciting, but it's also very, very difficult. So is this really something that, I, that I'm born to do? Um, and that's where I design more longer sessions, because that's where I can go also a bit deeper.
0: One of the last questions that I ask yeah. is uh, about your woman role model and yeah. who you would nominate as a woman author of Achievement.
1: Yeah, I could mention multiple, but I'm gonna say Sarah Diaz. I've known her for a few years now, personally and professionally. She runs one of the biggest segments uh, within Zalando, uh, women's wear, and she is an advocate for um, DNI and sustainability. And she is she meant she makes sure that there. Anzalando, for example, there are clothes for people with with disabilities, so adaptive wear, but also the more modest wear um, for people want to cover themselves up a little bit more. And I think she has this futuristic vision and a very charismatic leader that that to me she is a really a woman that I admire.
0: Thank you for bringing up her name. And Claudia, thank you so much for today's conversation. I think this was a definitely a new chapter of knowledge, learning about coaching, learning about leadership styles, but also understanding, you know, how executives dealing with their problems and who can they turn to to solve some of the issues along their personal and professional life. And I'm really wishing you also success
1: on your new journey. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope (laughs) we see each other soon. I hope so as well. Thank you so much, Daria, for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.